0: Well, my name is Pastor Chris. I'm one of the associate pastors here. Thank you. We welcome you today. I want to start by sharing a story about a couple who, um, some time ago, they, they're they um, out shopping. They come across these little antique shops, you know, what they're all like. And they find this vase, 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 I don't know, I'm going to say vase. And And they really like it, so they buy this vase and they bring it home and like most things. It, it goes up on that front mantle over the fireplace, and they're all really en- proud of it. and They enjoy it. They love it. And as time goes by, it starts to get collect dust, maybe a few little chips, and it moves from the front mantle to the side table to the back room, and then ultimately up into the attic. Years later, you know, this couple is watching TV. They see those, you know, those antique road shows where there's appraisals done. And they think, hey, you know, maybe we have some stuff that we can kind of get appraised, you know. And so they go through their attic. They pull things out. And they find this vase. And so they bring this vase to uh, an appraisal place. And lo and behold, this is not no normal vase. This is a 16th century Ming Dynasty vase. Priceless. Let me ask you, do you think they went and put it back in the attic when they got home? No. It, it, in fact, they wiped it down. They put it back on the mantel. They put a nice glass case over it. They put arrows, everything pointing to it. Like, this is something different. This is something very priceless. Let me ask you, what changed with the vase? Nothing. It was their perspective of the vase that changed. They understood now that the vase had inherent value instilled into it by its creator, and it leads and led them to treat it differently. Today, we're going to look at Genesis 1:27 through 29, and what it means to be a human. So, now there's a lot written about this today, so I pray that I do it justice. We're going to start by reading verse 26 again, we're going to read 26 through 29, so if I have your Bibles with me. Please follow along. Starting at verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, him. Male and female, he created them. Father God, Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord God, we thank you that uh, we can go to it in times of need. We thank you, Lord God, that you have created us and instilled in us value. And Lord, I pray now that you would give me words of clarity, that you would encourage and build up your church, and you would be glorified in and through the preaching of your word. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, there's two truths from our passage that we're going to unpack today. Two truths. First truth we find from our passage is this. That God created humans in his own image. Verse 27. God created humans in his own image. Now, we've seen up to this point, God speaks and things happen, don't we? Creation doesn't argue back with God. Uh, it, It just simply must obey to the command of God. And we come now to the final Act of God's creating humanity, human beings, the last of God's creating. Now it's interesting, this verse is actually structured in what's called a chiasm. I'm not certain if you heard of that word chiasm. It's a Hebrew chiasm, it's a literary device, and it's meant to, as a series of thoughts kind of are stacked on top of each other, and then they're presented and repeated in reverse order, kind of like stairs up, stairs down. And it's really meant to make it kind of a mirror. You know, it, it kind of reflects back what was just said in the, in the first opening verses. It's kind of like saying, you know, when the going gets tough, tough get going. But these structures are really meant to emphasize kind of the center of that whole structure, the very pinnacle, the top. And so I think it's no coincidence here written that this is written in such a manner because Moses is actually talking about images, An image is a reflection of its source. It makes it easier to memorize. It's kind of poetic. And these Israelites needed to remember this. Why? Because they were in the wilderness. They had just left Egypt. They had been taught over and over again that Pharaoh was the image of God. And here they're saying, no, Pharaoh's not. A king's not. Statues are not. Apparently man, mankind, humanity, is created in the image of God. So Moses then goes on and kind of completes this thought by saying male and female, he created them. And I think it's very important that I stop and take a few minutes to kind of just unpack kind of three quick points just in that little phrase because it's very relevant for the world we live in today. First, image of God is not tied to a gender. Image of God is not tied to a gender. Both man and woman are equally image bearers, of God. Both have an inherent value instilled into them by God. It's true we have different roles, but we're not better from one another. Just like the Trinity, they're equal. They have different roles, but they're equal. Both man and woman are treated to be treated with dignity and respect. A husband has no right to demean his wife and talk down to her. A wife does, has no right to disrespect her husband or ridicule him. This means we need to be mindful, brothers and sisters, of how we treat each other, whether they deserve it or not, because they are image bearers of God. Second, it is clear, there are only two genders, male and female. Yes, because of the fall, we know there's genetic abnormalities that take place, but there's still only two genders. Just as if a man was born without legs, he doesn't cease to be a man, He's still a man. We just know that there's something has gone wrong. We know in our world there's a growing number of people who may disagree with this. And scripture says that love rejoices with the truth in 1 Corinthians 13, 6. And so we stand for truth, but how we stand for truth matters. We are called to love people. They are image bearers, even if they don't agree with us, brothers and sisters. So we need to be gentle, kind... Loving, respectful, even if we are slandered for our beliefs. And third, God created Adam and Eve, mankind, fully formed. It didn't evolve over millions of years. You know, Jesus actually echoes this kind of sentiment in Mark 10:6 by saying, But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. From the beginning of creation. So man did not evolve to become what they are today. Because if so, then it wouldn't have been at the beginning of his creation. Now, again, the world may think that's absurd. However, we need to remember that God was there at the beginning. Man was not. And so we hold the Bible up as our authority and we reason from the Bible. The Bible is the reason why we can even do science in the first place, why we can make sense of things. You know, the great mathematician and astronomer and astrologer, Johannes Kepler, once said he was just thinking God's thoughts after him. That's what we do. Now I understand that these do not really answer the question of image of God, and so what does that actually mean? What does that actually mean? Does it mean that God has arms and legs and a head? We do know that God did walk in the garden, but is image-bearing really just meant to be a physical representation of the original? You know, in one way, you know, God sees, and he's created us eyes to see. God hears. He's created ears uh, for us to be able to hear. But the reality is animals have these traits as well. And we are clearly distinguished from the animals by this image of God statement. So I don't think it's so much about a physical representation. You know, I really like what John Piper says. It's very simple. He says, images are created to Image. Not really rocket science. Images are meant, are created to image. You know, for example, you look in a mirror, you see yourself, and, you know, you move your arm, and your arm moves, and images reflect that. You open your mouth, and the image, you know, moves its mouth. And you leave the mirror, and you come running back, and bam, there you are again, doing the same things again, right? It's there. It's mimicking you, if you will. And so we have been created as a reflection of our creator. Now, we're not God, but we do share some characteristics with our creator, God, some attributes, and these set us apart as we reflect God in this world. So two aspects of the image of God I want to I bring up today. First, we are created with the faculties to reason and have a will, to reason and have a will. Reason is a tool that God has given us that allows us to kind of draw conclusions and inferences from the world, Right? You know, without reason, we would not be able to understand what we're reading here in our Bibles. The will is what we use to make a choice or decision or determine which actions we shall perform. So God has created humanity to reason and will. We are to think think through situations and act on situations in a way that would reflect God. Scripture says, come, let us reason together. God says, let us reason together in Isaiah 118. Now, this clearly makes us distinct from the animal kind. This is why we can be creative and we build upon our knowledge. It's, when we, it's, it's why we, when we build a house, we don't collect giant branches and form them in big circles with mud and say, come on over to my, my little nest here. We don't do that. no. We create blueprints and plan out and think through. We fashion wood and shapes and of what we want. We add materials. We, want, we mine ores. We create machines and build tools to accomplish the project completed. We problem solve and communicate ideas through written and verbal language. We are created to emulate a thinking and communicating God. God. How God thinks and behaves is how we are, to cre- are created to think and behave. And in particular, we, r- we were to reason correctly about God and other people. God created Adam and Eve as the pinnacle of his creation with value and dignity. He put care into his creation. He knew exactly what he was doing when he created mankind. The intricate detail of every aspect of humanity was put there because he deemed it so with a purpose. Why? So we could reflect him in our thoughts and words. Now many of you have heard of Michelangelo and you know of Michelangelo and how he has uh, sculpted that amazing statue of King David. And also you're very well aware of the Sistine Chapel, it's beautiful. But Michelangelo actually created another statue, some of you may know it, of Moses. And this is in the church of San Pietro in Vincoli, Rome. And in this statue, Moses is sitting there with the two tablets of stone. Now, it's very interesting because the human anatomy, there's a small, small muscle in your forearm that you can't normally see unless you raise your pinky finger up in a certain way. It causes that muscle to contract. And what's fascinating about this statue is that Moses has that, fin- that pinky raised up. And so what do you see in his forearm? That one little muscle that you normally can't see is exposed. The detail that Michelangelo put into his creation, phenomenal. And yet Michelangelo himself is a creation of our great God. If Michelangelo can be detailed, how much more is God? God is so detailed in creation, man. He put everything he needed in there when he created man. Everything had a purpose. There were no mistakes. He built Adam and Eve up from like Adam upon Adam upon Adam. You know, it's kind of like the ultimate Lego set. (laughs) 500 billion pieces? Are you kidding me? Yep. Not one piece was missing. Not one piece was left over and built in record time. That's pretty impressive. I know, as a kid, you know, you build models. I'm left with something left over, and I'm scratching my head. What in the world is that piece for? No, not with God. He did it perfectly. We are different. We are unique. We are special. We are image bearers of God. Do you believe that, Christian? But there's a problem. The fall happened. We know that we don't reason well at times. We don't think clearly and correctly. Something has changed. Something is not as it should be. The image of God has become distorted and defaced. We make silly or stupid mistakes in our job or with our families or when we drive. Do I run that yellow? Well, of course not. I don't do that. Don't ask my wife. <laughs> we ultimately know People don't reason correctly with God, about God, and about fellow image bearers. People believe they are now the center of the universe, don't they? They worship and serve themselves. Truth is whatever they think and feel it is, and no one can tell them otherwise. God is now a force. He is whatever you want him to be. It's why there are so many false religions in this world. And humans, well... Value and purpose is what have I deem it to be, whatever I think. So what is our hope? We have become distorted. We have now become image breakers and not image bearers. So again, what is our hope? A second aspect of being an image bearer, God has created us uniquely to be able to, to be in unique relationships. We have the faculties to be able to enter into sweet relationships. We are to be in relationship with God and with each other. Notice in verse 28, God actually speaks to Adam and Eve. He says, and God blessed them and God said to them. It's clear that we share a unique relationship with God unlike any other thing in his creation. See, humans can communicate with God. We call that prayer, don't we? We don't see animals doing that. Humans know right from wrong. Animals do not. You know, if a dog bites somebody, we don't go and sue the dog. We sue the owner of the dog. Adam and Eve were created to communicate directly with God. And we'll see later in Genesis 3.8 that God even walked with them in the garden. He created humans to be in a special relationship with him, to talk with him, spend time with him, and with each other. Brothers and sisters, do you have joy that you get to talk to your Creator in a relationship with him? Do you have joy that you can have unique relationships with each other? We don't have to go through this life alone. God created us to have relationships and that's sweet. Adam and Eve had that. Adam loved Eve and Eve loved Adam. Husbands, when was the last time you thanked God for your wife? Wives, I know we make it hard, but I'm going to say it when did you thank God for your husband Brother and sister when was the last time you thank God that he desires to be in a sweet sweet intimate relationship with you Relationships matter to God and you were created to be in one with him and each other See we are different we are unique we are special we are image bearers of God do you believe that Christian But the problem a fall happened. We know we haven't lost the image of God. You can read that in Genesis 9 and 6, but it clearly has been distorted, hasn't it? We see relationships are strained. They are broken. They can be hard. It is easier to walk away from the relationship than mend a broken relationship. Relationships are important to God, though. We see this in the Ten Commandments. They are about relationships. Relationships. Verse 4, towards God, and the last 6, towards each other. We even find, ultimately, in the, greatest, the great two commandments, love God and love others, clearly it's expressing relationships. This was not given to animals. And the world has broken them over and over again. Human life has lost its dignity and respect and value. It's seen as, as a worthless vase to be tossed aside. People lie as though it's no big deal. People murder because you look at them the wrong way in some places. People want what they want and they could care less about how you feel. See, we, see, we see that this respect and love for other image bearers has really diminished in our world. We stop loving God and start loving and worshiping self and creation just as Romans 1 says. A post-fall world takes these relationships and they really invert them, don't they? You see this in marriage and what the world has to say about marriage nowadays. You see this in how one thinks of the unborn. We see this from bullies all the way up to dictators. And if we're honest, we see it in ourselves, don't we? Do you know what an inversion of the image of God really amounts to? Idolatry. Idolatry. As image bearers, we are to be in a relationship with God. We are to emulate Him, praise Him, love Him. Talk about him and glorify him. But what do we do? We pervert this and invert it. So now it's all about me. Emulate me. Praise me. Love me. Talk about me and glorify me. Now, though humans are created in the image of God, we must remember it's not a man centered creation, but a God centered creation. Creation reflects his beauty, his eternal power, his divine nature. You know, people say, and I've heard people say, you know, why, why, why would God create stars that people can't see? As though that's somehow a refutation against God. It's really quite simple. It's not about you. It's about Him. It's about His pleasure. It's not about yours. Humans were created to reflect God's character in their thinking and relationships in God's creation, but a post-fall, something has clearly changed. So, what is our hope? We have become distorted. We have become image breakers and not image bearers of God. What is our hope, brother and sister? But as God has created us in his image, he has created so with purpose The image him over his creation. And so image bearing is directly tied and linked to our second truth that we find from our passage, and that is God has created humans to have dominion over his creation, verses 28 to 29. God has created humans have dominion over his creation. See, verse 28, God blesses humanity by giving them five imperatives. These are five commands. Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue the earth, and have dominion over all the animals. See, by blessing them, God is really enabling them to carry out and do what he has commanded them to do. Now, I do think all these kind of Are related to one another, and I kind of summarize them, I sum them all up in my single word of dominion, but I will break them down into two groups. First group, Adam and Eve were to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. (laughs) It's quite clear, it's quite obvious. There was no one else on the planet, (laughs) you know. They had to have more children. Image bearers have lots and lots of children, and they were to spread over the earth as image bearers, reflecting God to all creation. And this does tell us one aspect of marriage was and is to have children. Image-bearing bearers were to have children, and create more image bearers and reflect God as they went out and filled the world and the earth. And so God, as God fills all creation with his presence, humans were to fill the earth with the reflected presence of God. Adam and Eve could not do this on on their own, just themselves. So we see clearly, we are different. We are unique. We are special. We are to be images on display. And do you believe this, Christian? But there's a problem. The fall has happened. We find now marriage is under attack, isn't it? It's redefined and it's treated as unnecessary in our world. Our world argues that we are overpopulated, stop having kids, attacking this very command. Our world attacks what's called the nuclear family, the father and the mother in the home, raising children. They say you can have sex with whoever you want and when you want, whether you are married. Again, no regards to what God's word says. We now live in a world where there are struggles even in having children. There are some who struggle to have children, and there are others who don't want them and they abort them. Our hearts grieve for both, for parents who want babies and babies who aren't wanted. We need to love and help parents who struggle with these things in this post-fall world that we live in. What is our hope? It become distorted. The world is clearly broken. What is our hope? Second group, Adam and Eve were to subdue the earth and have dominion over all the animals. They were to continue to do what God had called them to do in the garden, work and keep it, but essentially expand the borders of Eden around the world. You know, biblical scholar G.K. Beale says this really well. Listen to what he says. He goes, The intention seems to be that Adam was to widen the boundaries of the garden in ever-increasing circles by extending the order of the garden sanctuary into the inhospitable outer spaces. The outward expansion would include the goal of spreading the glorious presence of God and this would occur especially by Adam's progeny born in his image, thus reflecting God's image and the light of his presence. See, they were to bring creation under their bidding. They were to work the fields, cultivate land, essentially subdue the land, the earth. And we find this word dominion. Dominion is kind of a, it's a royal word. It's a kingly word. It, it's a ruling word. We see this tied together Uh, In Psalm 8, 3 to 8, this idea of dominion and humanity kind of working together. Psalm 8, 3 to 8 says, When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion. Over the works of your hands, you have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. We, as image bearers, have been given a privileged position to have dominion over the work of God's hands. Not because we deserve it. It's nothing we did. He created us with this purpose. You know, when they teach you to drive, they say this is not a privilege. Sorry, it's not a right. It's a privilege. But here, it's a privilege and our right, a God-given right. Now, at times in Scripture, you'll find this word dominion used, and it doesn't really express quite like this. It's used more in a negative sense, more like enslaving people. And the Israelites would have understood this word clearly. Remember, they had just experienced 400 years being under the dominion of the Egyptians, in the hands of the Egyptians. This understanding would have opened their eyes. It was the goodness of God. We weren't created to have dominion over each other, but over the animal kind. And we'll find in a short time from now, Adam exercising his dominion by naming the animals. You know what this means, brother and sister? This means you are more valuable than the animal kind. You are fundamentally different than the animals. It's not a sin to have a pet dog or pet cat or a bird. We don't see animals having pet animals. We don't see a cat having a pet mouse, and if they did, it wouldn't last long, right? We are different, but as stewards of God, we are to take care of that pets, those animals, because it really belongs to the Lord. You are caring for what is his. And as image bearers set over his creation to subdue and have dominion over his creation, God now will provide you what you need, the mankind, to, in order to carry out that mission. In verse 29, God gives Adam and Eve food. Nuts, veggies, and fruits. Amen? Kind of quiet on that amen, I think. Yeah, yes, in the beginning, Adam and Eve were vegetarians. you got to think, why? Because there was no death. Death is an intrusion. It's an enemy that will be wiped away someday. Amen? Amen. Now, I think we need to remember, though, that if everything was good... I'm sure also Adam and Eve thought the food tasted good. Now, confession time, I'm not a tomato guy. I can eat them in chili and salsa and pizza sauce, but I'm not one of those guys who's going to take them and eat them like an apple. No, nope, not, not going to happen. But I don't think Adam was like, whoa, God, that tomato, that tastes terrible. I, I would understand if he did, but I don't think he did. Why? Because God created food good, yes, for our nourishment so we can work and live and subdue and have dominion, but also to enjoy, to praise him. And these Israelites, again, remember, they're hearing this, and where are they? They're in the wilderness. And what is God providing them? He's providing them manna from heaven. Now, if you remember what Scripture says, it tastes like, it tastes like wafers, Made with honey. I don't know about you, that sure doesn't sound like a tomato. God richly provides for Adam and Eve to thrive in this world. He gave them the tools they need to take ground for Him, and this is the same God who provides for the Israelites in the wilderness, and He's the same God who provides for you now, brother and sister. (laughs) Do you ever think of thanking God for taste buds? Maybe we should for the simple pleasures that food can bring. We can thank God for those things. See, we are different. We are unique. We are special. We are images to be on display. Do you believe that, Christian? But there's a problem. The fall happened. We know it's not easy to work now, is it? Subduing is hard. We get tired, sore. It hurts. We get cranky. Maybe it's just me. The earth seems to want to subdue us, doesn't it? Lives lost and devastated. You see this in earthquakes, tornadoes, volcanic eruptions. Creation ke- keeps—it seems to be spitting out more disasters and diseases all the time. In dominion, this word has really become purely negative in its connotation. It leads to conquest and ruling over people, wars and rumors of wars. And animals, well, they attack and kill, don't they? You cannot go to the zoo and pet the lions and tigers. Please do not try that. You may swim with dolphins, but please think twice if with swimming with sharks. At least please, from my perspective, don't swim with sharks. The world is out of control. And people, people have made the world in itself into a god, haven't they? Mother Earth. Mother Nature. You know, in Greek mythology, they personified Earth with the name Gaia. These people say the world is not here for us, we're here for the world. Brother and sister, I'm gonna I'm gonna say something very controversial here. Please don't stone me. It's not about saving the planet, it's about saving souls and being good stewards of God's creation while we go about that. Saving the planet really can amount to activism. It deflects from the Great Commission. There is nothing we can do to speed up or slow down the return of Christ. When Christ returns, the world will go up in flames someday. Read 2 Peter 3.7. But please don't hear what I'm not saying. As good stewards, we should take care of what God has entrusted us with. We should consider the world we're going to live in while we wait for his return. We don't want our kids walking on garbage in parks We do want clean water and clean air. But while we wait for that day, it is very clear in a a post-fall world that distortion of subduing and dominion has come upon us today. So what is the big idea of this passage? What do we see taught from this passage? That at creation, God created humans to image him in our thinking and in relationships to have dominion over the earth as his representatives. God created us to image him in how we think and reason, in our relationship with each him, each other, and the world. And we were to go out and fill this earth with more image bearers, subduing the world and having dominion over the animals. But as we've seen, there are many problems with this today. What we read here is clearly not what we see out there, is it? We don't reflect God right when it comes to our reasoning and relationships. And the world and the people in it are against what being fruitful and filling the earth really means. And it seems that the world and people are against us subduing it, have dominion, dominion over it. So again, what is our hope? We cannot fix this problem. We are part of the problem. We are not right. The world is not right. So again, what is our hope? Answer? Jesus. Jesus is our hope. He entered this distorted creation, the true image bearer, the son in whom God was well-pleased. He went and lived that perfect life. He imaged God perfectly for us. Colossians 1.15 says that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He died for sin, and three days later he rose from the dead. And he and we who have repented and believed in the Son have been forgiven our, of our sin. And now, brothers and sisters, listen, Romans 8.29 says we are being conformed to the image of the Son. At salvation, through being united with Jesus, we are being transformed again into true images, image bearers once more. Amen? So, What is the solution to the reason and will problem? It's Jesus. He always reasoned right. He always did that which was pleasing to the Father. Because of Jesus, we can start being start to reason right about Him and each other once more. Colossians 3, 5 through 10 says we are being renewed in knowledge after the image of our Creator. And someday, because of Jesus, you will think, reason, and act exactly how God has created us to. 1 Corinthians 13, 12 says, For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully as I have been fully known. The joy we will have then cannot be put into words now, brothers and sisters. What is the solution to our problem of relationships? It's Jesus. He always loved God perfectly and demonstrated his love for us by dying for us. Remember those two great commandments, love God and love people? Jesus perfectly fulfills them. We know believers that we only love God because he first loved us, and we can love others now because of what he has done. Listen to John 13, 34 to 35 and what it says. It says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. You now I find it amazing that through Christ we are actually brought into the triune God's relationship. Did you ever think about that? The same relationship shared with the Trinity. You, believer, united with Christ, are unlike anything else in creation. Since you are united with Christ, the Father loves you now with the same love he has for his son, Jesus Christ. Isn't that humbling? Isn't that amazing? And because of what Christ has done and is doing, we can now start to image God in our relationships. Ephesians 5.1 says, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. See, as image bearers, we respect and care for one another. It doesn't matter if they deserve it or not. We respect and care for them. They were created to be respected and cared for. It's like that Ming Dynasty vase. It doesn't matter how you feel about its shape, its colors, or whether it's dirty. You respect it and care for it because it was created to be respected and cared for. What is the solution now to the problem of being fruitful, multiplying, and filling the earth? It's Jesus. He is building his church. It's spreading around this earth. And we, as his body, bear fruit, don't we? Amen? Matthew 16, 18, I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. See, it's not about the physical progeny, it's about the spiritual progeny. Christ is the one doing the multiplying now. As believers united with Christ, we go out as Christ's hands, his feet, his mouth, preaching the gospel, image bearers, reflecting God in this world so that more and more people would become Christians, being redeemed, becoming reflectors of Christ. You see, Christ is the one filling the earth now. What is the solution to the subduing and the dominion? Jesus. He will usher in a new heavens, a new earth, and that new heavens and earth will be fully subdued to him. And he has been given dominion over everything. Listen to what Daniel 7.14 says, referring to Christ, the Son of Man. It says, And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples and nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. In Ephesians one twenty echoes this. It says, By saying, saying that God put all things, that's all things, under Christ's feet, Now listen to this. This is amazing. Jesus says to to the person who overcomes, listen to this. Revelation 3.21 says, the one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I conquered and sat down on my father, my father on his throne. See, throne is royal language like dominion. Through Christ, the divine mandate to have dominion will be ours once more. Amen? See, through Jesus, reasoning corrected, relationships restored, filling the earth, accomplished, subduing a dominion in the new heavens and earth. Brothers and sisters, it's only a matter of time. That's our Jesus. Restores the unrestorable. You are not just some vase, Christian, to be put in an attic. You are to be front and center and image on display in this world reflecting him and having dominion over his creation as representatives of Christ the King. Do you believe that, Christian? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for Christ, our hope. Thank you, Lord, that he would die for our sins. He would graft us into his family, Lord. Thank you for that work. Thank you for what you're doing in, in our lives, what you have done, what you are doing, and what you will do in will do in restoring our image, the images of God in Christ's name.